I'm just kidding. I, I, don't, I don't really need the crutches. That, that was just a joke. <laughs> some of you are like, are you serious? Get that boy some bubble wrap. Holy cow. I know what you're thinking. It's, uh, it's just a part of the sermon illustration this morning. I needed to bring my crutches, and I thought if i got to walk out there with them, I might as well use them. I'd be, I'd be, I was walking around the church holding them, and someone's like, that's not actually how you use those. <laughs> Thank you for that reminder. This morning, we are changing things up uh, and starting, as you heard, with a sermon right at the beginning, because I believe God is telling us today that we need to respond to the message. Typically, we have the worship at the beginning to get your heart open and ready. Look at the grandeur of God and say, okay, God, if you're that glorious, I'm ready to receive from you. But, but today, I think the Lord is saying, I want to challenge you, and then I want you to respond today in worship, in unbridled and beautiful worship. And the reason why I believe we need to switch this up is because God has been teaching me a lesson. And he's been doing it now for a couple of months. And it all started sitting in that seat right down there next to my wife and daughter in a time of worship. So at at the time, I was using my crutches because I had just had surgery. Those of you who've been here know uh, about three months ago, I had pretty major hamstring surgery. And at the time, I I couldn't move around without my crutches. Um, I couldn't bear any weight on my left leg as it was being re-anchored and, and rehealed, And so I would stand to worship like everybody else, but I would have to keep my crutches here just to keep my balance. And, and Reggie was leading worship on a song. I can't remember what song it was, but it was, it was one of those songs where you just sense the presence of God. You just feel his glory and his power and his might, and you realize, I, I, need, to, I need to worship him. Now, normally when that happens, I raise my hands in praise to him. It was just one problem. I couldn't. I was like this. That's as high as I could get in my praise. I'm like, this just isn't enough, God. I, how can I worship you the way you deserve to be worshipped? And immediately I felt uh, a compulsion from the Spirit to raise my crutches in the air in worship. Like when you score a touchdown, just like up in the air, pumping them up and down in praise to him. Now, if you're anything like me, then immediately a million reasons came up of why that's a really bad idea. Number one, uh, Lord, you do know I need them physically, right? I didn't want to go, and just down I go, because I'm about to come up here and preach, and I didn't want to do it with like, you know, a strawberry on my face coming up, because I thought I'll just lift my crutches. And so I was, I was concerned physically, Lord, I, I might not be able to handle that. Now, if I'm being real with you, I actually thought my body could handle it. I just didn't really want to test it out. And so I just stood there making that excuse, God, and I, I can't. My body can't handle it. Then immediately another excuse comes up, and this one sounds really religious. Lord, if I raise my crutches in the air, I mean, it's going to distract everybody else around me. Because, you know, Lord, they're focused on you. They're worshiping you, and then they'll start looking at me, and they won't be thinking about you, God. And I don't, I don't want to be a distraction to anybody else. Which sounds really holy, except for that wasn't really the reason why I didn't want to raise my crutches. If I'm being honest with you, I didn't, I didn't want to raise them because I thought I'd look like a dork, raising my crutches up in the air like a crazy person, I didn't want y'all to think I was crazy, and I already give you enough reasons to think I'm crazy. I didn't need the crutches to be an extra reason for you to just confirm, yep, the dude's psycho. And so I, I've, I've just decided it's way too silly, God. I'm not raising my crutches in the air, and I'm arguing with the Lord. Now, at the time, Reggie, he's, he's leading worship, and, uh, and you, you know, as he leads worship from time to time, he, he feels the Spirit compel him to press into a song. I'm just praying the song would end. Like, that time will be over. I'm telling the Lord all the reasons why I cannot do this. And and as I'm getting to that moment, I'm now saying, 
uh, Lord, I, I know the song's going to end. I'll just wait you out. And Reggie is in rare form. It's like a 45-minute song. He's just going and going and pressing. And I'm like, Reg, come on. In the song, I, I, need to get, I need to get this over with. But it wouldn't end. I promise you, it just wouldn't end. And as I'm sitting there arguing with the Lord, this thought pops into my mind. And, and it was potent. The, the thought was this. God, and it wasn't an audible voice. Let me say, it was just, the, I believe, the Spirit speaking to my, my mind saying, am I worthy, Jason? Am I worthy of you to look like a fool in front of everybody else if that's how you bring me praise? Like, ah, yes, God, you're worthy. So now I know what I got to do. So I'm standing there, and step number one is to see, can I maintain balance? So I, I lift up a little bit. I kind of move my crutches around. I put them back down. And I realize, yep, I can balance. Okay, Lord, I know what you want me to do. And so I, I go to the next step, which is time to raise my crutches in praise. And I'm singing this eternal song that Reggie won't let die. And I lift him up to about my waist. And I do this. And I'm going to praise Jesus. And I go back down. And I go, I did it, Lord. I raised my crutches in praise. Pretty much going, are you happy now? And I felt like the Lord's saying, am I not worth more than that, Jason? Yes, Lord, you're worth more than that. So with all the strength and courage I could muster sitting right over there, knowing anybody around me could see it, start laughing their little head off, I raised my crutches in the air, and I pumped them three times, and I put them back down. And I said, I did it, Lord. I obeyed you. I even went, woohoo <laughs> when I did it. A little added bonus to show my passion for the Lord. And I, I finished that moment. Finally, when I was done, the eternal song ended. Somehow Reggie just knew it was time to close it down. And the song was over. And I didn't know what was going on, but I knew the Lord was teaching me something. So I finished that time, and I, I get my Bible, and I come up here on stage. And then I, I had to sit at the time, and I sit down, and I preach. And to be honest with you, I felt the presence of the Spirit of God. I, I felt like God was just in the room, and he was just ministering to people. I'm saying things that I can tell are hitting people's hearts because God's word is penetrating. And so I get to the end of the sermon, and it's time to extend the invitation where we invite people to come forward for prayer and to place their faith in Christ and to be baptized. And I, I, there's just a move of God. There's a lot of people coming forward, queued up, ready to be prayed over. And I'm going, yes, God, you're, you're moving. And, and I hear spiritual conversations, and I'm, I'm ready to see a harvest. And, and sure, by God's grace, there, there was a harvest. There were three people who placed their faith in Christ and were baptized that day. Glory to God. I was so excited to see it. But if I'm being honest with you, I had actually expected more. I don't ever want to diminish three people placing their faith in Christ and getting baptized. It's a miracle. But just the way the Lord was moving, I just sensed that God was going to do more. It felt like something was like limiting what God was doing. Later that afternoon, I, I was just wrestling with that. God why didn't you do more? I know that there were more people in the room who needed to place their faith in Christ and to get baptized than did. So what was stopping that move, God? Is it something I did? did what happened? Why, why didn't you move more? Next morning, I wake up and I'm doing my quiet time. And the way I do my quiet time is I spend some time in the Word. Then I read a devotional book. And then I, I go and I journal for a while. And I was out back doing my journaling, talking to the Lord about what had happened, asking God why, why didn't you move more? And as I was praying, the Lord brought to mind what took place. He said, Jason, I, now, I said, when I say he said, it's not an audible voice. It's just the thoughts I'm having as I'm praying with the Lord. In fact, the Lord's telling me, 
Jason, what did you do yesterday? And he reminded me, okay, I got, I got my crutches, I lifted them in the air, and I pumped them three times, and I pulled them down. And at time of prayer, he said, now, Jason, how many baptisms were there? Well, there were three. And I felt like the Lord in that moment telling me, you saw what you were willing to do for me. He was teaching me a lesson, and here was the lesson. Jason, I respond to the level of your unashamed obedience to me. But when you obey me in embarrassment and shame, I limit my power. What you saw, Jason, was my power, but limited, because you were obedient, but you were ashamed in your obedience. Now, now maybe you hear me say that, and there's some of you going, that's just coincidence, Jason. Sounds a little too superstitious. You pump your hands in the air three times, and there are three baptisms. Like, you're controlling what's taking place. And, and I get it. I, I actually wrestled with the Lord. Like, that, that, that's just coincidental. That's not exactly what happened, God. It just happened to be three. But remember, now, I'm in a time of prayer when I'm having these thoughts, and the Lord brought to mind a particular passage of Scripture that showed me this is how God works. And I want you to turn there with me. It's 2 Kings chapter 13. The reason why I want you to turn here and see this, because I, I want you to recognize this principle at play, not because of my story of my crutches, but because of the word of God. That God is a God who always responds to the level of our obedience to him. He, he will always be moved. And there are times when we are reckless and unashamed in our obedience, he moves in power. But when we are shamed and embarrassed in our obedience, God limits his power. You see it in 2 Kings 13. Now, I had preached on this passage before a number of years ago, so the Lord brought this passage to mind to remind me how he works. So if you turn to 2 Kings 13, we're going to begin in a moment in verse 14, but let me tell you what's going on. You have the nation of Israel led by a guy named King Joash. Now, King Joash, he's an evil king like all the kings of Israel, but there's a prophet in Israel named Elisha. There was first Elijah, and then there's Elisha. Elisha was a great miracle worker. He was the one who had incredible power, who would do things, who would prophesy in the name of God. Now, he's on his deathbed. Elisha is about to die, and he goes to King Joash because he wants to present to him one last prophetic word, a message. And so that's what takes place in 2 Kings chapter 13, beginning in verse 14. Here's what it says. It says, Now when Elisha had fallen sick with the illness of which he was to die, Joash, king of Israel, went down to him and wept before him, crying, My father, my father, the chariots of Israel and its horsemen. And Elisha said to him, take a bow and arrows. So he took a bow and arrows. Then he said to the king of Israel, draw the bow. And he drew it. And Elisha laid his hands on the king's hands. And he said, open the window eastward. And he opened it. Then Elisha said, shoot. And he shot. And he said, the Lord's arrow of victory, the arrow of victory over Syria. For you shall fight the Syrians in Aphek until you have made an end of them. Okay, we're going to pause right there. I want to make sure you understand what's going on. There's a couple of details that are important. First of all, Syria is the arch enemy of Israel. They're stationed eastward from Israel, and they're the enemy, the thorn in the flesh of the nation of Israel. They just keep on attacking and, and pushing Israel's border further south, and they hate the Syrians. They want to beat them, but they can't. And now you have Elisha, the great prophet of God. He's on his deathbed, and he says, I want to send you a message. I want to tell you about the power of God. He says, take your arrows. Now, these are the royal arrows. These weren't like any ordinary arrows. They were specially designed for the king. And he has a bow and arrows, and he says, grab it. And he says, open the window eastward toward Syria, toward the arch enemy. He says, put the arrow on the bow, pull it back, and shoot. Now, before he does it, he puts his hand on top of Joash's hand. Elisha does. 
clearly indicating this is a prophetic move. I'm showing you something God is up to. My hand on you is if the hand of God is on this arrow. He shoots the arrow. And then Elisha says, that's the arrow of victory. It's a symbol of the power of Almighty God. Because that arrow is the arrow of victory, this means you will be able to defeat Syria. So what, what this all tells us is that Joash knows that he's in the middle of a prophetic moment from Elisha, that the arrows symbolize the power of victory over Syria. That's really important because of what comes next. Keep on reading, verses 18 and 19. It says in verse 18, and then he, talking about Elisha, then Elisha said, take the arrows. And Joash took them. And he said to the king of Israel, strike the ground with them. And he struck three times and stopped. Then the man of God was angry with him and said, you should have struck five or six times. Then you would have struck down Syria until you'd made an end of it. But now you will strike down Syria only three times. So here's what's taking place. You have Joash, he gets the arrows, and he obeys. He strikes the ground three times. And then it says Elisha got ticked at him. And, and there's a side where if you just read this, you go, why is Elisha upset? I mean, he didn't tell him how many times to strike the ground. He just said strike the ground. If he had said strike the ground six times and Joash only does it three, then you could understand why he'd be upset. But he didn't tell him how many times. All he says is strike the ground. And Joash does it three times. And then Elisha gets ticked. And you're going, Why? Well, the key to it is in what it says about Joash's actions. It says he struck the ground three times and he stopped. In other words, he pulled back. There's a reason why he stopped. Because he thought this was idiotic. This was beneath him. He's the king of Israel. This is so undignified to grab the royal arrows and beat the ground. Now, I'll shoot him out the window because arrows are meant to fly, but not beat the ground with it. Are you kidding me? So he grabs the arrows out of his quiver and he goes, fine, whatever. One, two, three. There. You happy now, Elisha? I don't know if you recognize how similar this sounds to me sitting up front. There. One, two, three. You happy now, God? And what does Elisha say? You would have destroyed Syria if you just kept beating the ground. You knew this was a prophetic moment, Joash. I put my hand on you. I told you these are the arrows of victory. Why didn't you just beat the ground again and again and again until the arrows broke? Because you knew what this meant. Why are you so worried about how you look? You should have beat it over and over. Then Syria would have been destroyed. But now God is going to limit his power because you were too ashamed to strike the ground enough. God responds to our level of unashamed obedience to him. And there are moments when he limits his power because we're too ashamed, even in our obedience, to fully obey him. We're too ashamed to worship him the way that we should because we're concerned about what the people around us think instead of what God Almighty thinks. If there was anything I wanted you to write down, it's that phrase right there. I want you to record that in your heart and in your mind because it will reveal to you the power of God. God always responds to the level of our unashamed obedience to him. You're going to hear me say that again and again and again. If you want to experience the miraculous, unmitigated power of Almighty God in your life, then worship him and obey him with unashamed, unmitigated passion. God always responds to the level of our unashamed obedience of him. I think that's what happened that Sunday morning. I'm down front and I'm obeying, but I'm obeying with shame in my heart knowing people are looking at me and I'm doing my little three pumps and I'm done. And God said, well, 
If you're going to limit your obedience, you're going to see a limitation of my power. This is how God works. This is what Joash saw that day. And most importantly, this is what you have seen in your life and you didn't even realize it. There are many of you who are in this room or watching online and you're saying, why haven't I seen more of the power of God in my life? There are just some people and they just seem to see the power of God. Like everything they do, everything they touch turns to gold. You know, like everything seems to go well for them. The doors just fly open for them. And like I just feel like I'm running uphill all my life. I, I don't ever see God heal anybody. I don't ever see God answer prayer. I don't ever see God open the door for me. Is there something wrong with me? Does God just not like me? One of the main reasons you're not seeing the power of God isn't because God doesn't like you. He just has more for you, but it requires unashamed obedience. It requires you to be undignified in your praise and obedience to him, doing whatever he tells you to do, not concerned at all what the people around you think, but only what he thinks. So I've shown you now what it looks like when I fell. I've shown you now what it looks like when Joash fails. Now I want to flip the script a bit. I want you to show, it what it look, show you what it looks like when somebody succeeds in this. I want to give you an example of somebody who was utterly undignified in their obedience and praise of Almighty God and therefore saw the unmitigated blessing of Almighty God. His name was King David. We're going to go to 2 Samuel chapter 6. If you have your Bible, it's just two chapters before we were at. So flip backwards to 2 Samuel chapter 6. Now, i got to set this up a little bit because we're going to jump in in the middle of a story about halfway through the chapter. But let me tell you what's taking place. So King David, he's the king, the great king of the nation of Israel, the greatest of all the kings. Now, he, at this time in the story, had just become king a few years before. He's been living in the city of Hebron, and finally he's been able to beat the Jebusites who live in Jerusalem because that's what he wants to make the holy city, the capital of Israel. And so he beat the Jebusites, and now he has moved into what is called now the city of David. That's Jerusalem. And he wants the presence of God in the city because David loves Yahweh God. He's a man after God's own heart. And he knows that if this city is going to be blessed, the presence of God needs to be there. And there's nothing more tangible than the Ark of the Covenant to symbolize the presence of Almighty God. And so the, the ark had been taken by the Philistines, and now the Philistines had kicked it out because it was causing problems among them. It's just sitting out in the open country. And David says, now's the time to bring the ark of the covenant into the freshly minted capital of Israel, the city of Jerusalem. Because he loves God with so much passion, David decides he's not going to do it just you know, mediocre. He's going to have a parade with fanfare and trumpets and tambourines and tens of thousands of people. So he calls 30,000 of his chosen men, and he, he gets this fresh new cart, and he puts the ark on top of the cart with new oxen, and he has a Levitical priest named Ahio in the front and Uzzah in the back, and they start walking the cart from where it was to the city of Jerusalem with tambourines and shouts of joy and dance and praise. But all of a sudden, the, one of the oxen stumbles, and Uzzah, without even thinking about it, puts his hand out to, to steady the Ark of the Covenant, and immediately he dies because he touched the Ark of the Covenant. Now, there's some of you, if you've ever read that story, you, you kind of get a little bit baffled about it. Like, why in the world would God smite somebody who's just trying to take care of the Ark? But listen, God, he didn't make this unclear. In the law of Moses, multiple times, he talks about the holiness of the Ark of the Covenant, that had, if any human being were to touch it who was not one of the priests of the line of Aaron, who was the high priest serving and only touching it certain times a year, it, it says clearly, he will surely die over and over and over again. God laid it out in the law of Moses, what you call the Torah, that you cannot touch something so sacred and holy or you will die. 
And Uzzah, just not even thinking about it, touches. He, he disobeys the law of Moses. And God was, he was, wasn't lying. He wasn't blowing smoke. You touch the Ark of the Covenant, you will die. And that's what he does. And Uzzah dies. Now, what's interesting is it wasn't really Uzzah's fault because he never should have been placed in that situation to begin with. Because the law of Moses, the Torah, also says that the Ark of the Covenant should not be put on a cart. It should be carried between poles and by the, the Levites. It was a very specific way that it was supposed to be carried, and they were not obeying it. David, the architect of this whole parade, hadn't taken the time to look at the law of Moses to see how the Ark was supposed to be moved. So David was the one who put Uzzah in this position, and Uzzah's death was actually David's fault. And it says that when David saw what had happened, the fear of God came inside of him. He became more aware of the holiness of God and more afraid of Almighty God, realizing you cannot trifle with God. And so David backs off in awe and wonder of the majesty of this God who he's just seen strike in power. And he waits three months. Now, I don't know what he's doing in those three months, but my guess is he's studying the law of Moses. He's studying the Torah to learn how do you actually move the Ark of the Covenant. Well, he finally learns the right way to do it, comes back three months later and decides he's going to now do it God's way. Put poles between the Levites and carry the Ark of the Covenant. And that's where we jump into the story because I want you to see what happens. This is now 2 Samuel chapter 6, beginning in verse 12. It says this. And it was told King David, the Lord has blessed the household of Obed-Edom and all that belongs to him because of the Ark of God. So David went and brought up the Ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David with rejoicing. And when those who bore the ark of the Lord had gone six steps, he sacrificed an ox and a fattened animal. And David danced before the Lord with all his might. David was wearing a linen ephod. So David and all the house of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouting and with the sound of the horn. I, I love this scene. It says that he, they, they finally move it. They get the, this huge parade. There are tens of thousands of people again. And now they're carrying on the shoulders. And they go, one, two, three, Four, five, six, and David says, stop. We're going to kill the fattened calf. We're throwing a party, baby, because we walked six steps and no one died. And they have this celebration, and it says that King David is dancing with all his might. I have no clue what it looks like to dance with all your might. I think about Reggie up here on stage every once in a while. If you know Matt Hunter, maybe him dancing. It's, uh, it's Elf, you know, when he's doing that. You know, I, I, maybe that's what it is. I don't know. But in my mind, here's how I picture it. If any of you have daughters, like young daughters, I, I picture my daughter Jovi. So there are times when we're in the den, or, or maybe she's just in the den by herself, and she's got an imaginary microphone, and she is just, she's at a rock concert, and she's the rock star, and she's just singing and dancing and looking adorable, not knowing that I'm sitting there watching her the whole time. Because it is just beautiful to see her just completely free to dance the way she likes to dance. Until she sees me, she stops. Because she knows I'm watching. And she's embarrassed. And when I, when I picture David dancing with all his might, it's my daughter Jovi before she knows anyone's watching. Here he is in front of tens of thousands of people. He knows all the eyes are fixed on him. And he's just shouting, hallelujah, praise you, Lord. He's just dancing with all his might. Because he's taken six steps and no one's died. He's overwhelmed, shouts, praise, leaping for joy. I mean, I've got to be honest with you. This was pathetic looking. It was so undignified. He was so unashamed, in fact, so much so, that his own wife looking out the window says, how could you be so pathetic? Keep on reading. Next verse. Verse 16. 
It says, as the ark of the Lord came into the city of David, Michal, the daughter of Saul, looked out of the window and saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord, and she despised him in her heart. She says, how could you be so pathetic? You're the king of Israel. Act like the king. Be dignified. Don't be like a little schoolgirl just dancing around where everyone can see you in your linen ephod. She comes back again in verse 20, even stronger. It says, David returned to bless his household, but Michal, the daughter of Saul, came out to meet David and said, how the king of Israel honored himself today, uncovering himself today before the eyes of his, his servants, female servants, as one of the vulgar fellows shamelessly uncovers himself. That phrase, vulgar fellows, literally means the worthless ones. How pathetic you are. How worthless you are. You're supposed to be the king. How could you behave this way? She despised him, looked down on him because he was just so free. But I love what King David says next because this is the key of everything I think the Lord is trying to teach us this morning. Verse 21. And David said to Michal, it was before the Lord who chose me above your father and above all his house to appoint me as prince over Israel, the people of the Lord, and I will celebrate before the Lord. I will make myself yet more contemptible than this, and I will be abased in your eyes. But by the female servants of whom you have spoken, by them I shall be held in honor. He says, you think this is bad? You're about to see me get even lower. And when it says, I'll be even more contemptible, in Hebrew the, the word base is kalal. It, it means I'll be even more accursed. People will look down at me with even greater shame. I'll be even more undignified, more despicable, more pathetic than this more humiliated than this in all your eyes. But before Almighty God, I'll be praised and he will exalt me. Those female servants you think that are going to look down on me, trust me, they're going to see the power of God in my life. And what do you see in King David's life? The unfiltered power of Almighty God. Everything he does seems to turn to gold. He has the Midas touch. He's going to go out to war, small army against a huge army, and all he goes, ring, 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 hey God, should I go fight? God says, yeah, go fight. Done. Goes out, smacks him. Next one, next one. Next. He's just defeating everybody. Wealth rolling in. The 12 tribes coming together. The greatest king in all of Israel, the entire history, King David. Why? One, because he was perfect. I mean, if you know anything about King David, he was a liar. He was an adulterer. He was a murderer. And yet he's still called the man after God's own heart. Why is that? because he was unashamed in his celebration of Almighty God, undignified in his obedience. I'll be even more contemptible than this if I have to, because my God is worthy of that kind of praise. And when God sees that kind of heart, do you know what he does? He blesses. He sends his power. See, that's what was happening that Sunday morning with me. He was inviting me to be unashamed in my worship of him. He was inviting me to be undignified in my obedience. And I wasn't willing because I struggle with this. I'm being honest with you. I care too much about what you think. Let me go ahead and turn the spotlight, though, on you for a moment. I wonder how many of you struggle with the exact same thing I do. I think there are times God calls you to do something and, and you feel a little bit, I don't know, silly to do what you feel like he's calling you to do. Maybe even in a worship service. There, there are times when you feel like the Lord telling you to come down forward, but you're going, but it's not invitation time. Like, it's the middle of worship. I look crazy if I could just come bow down on the steps. And God is inviting you to be undignified, 
to bow before him. And you're going, well, I don't know what people think about that. But some of you, the whole worship time, you got your arms like this, and you know inside you want to raise your arms in prayer and praise, but you're not that kind of guy. People think you're getting a little too Bapticostal if you raise your hands up in the air and, and get crazy. So no, I'm, I'm going to stay this way. Every once in a while, you see Reggie up there jumping up and down, and you want to just join him. But you're like, oh, man, my wife think I'm crazy if I do that. My kids start thinking I'm crazy if I do that. I'll get a sweat, you know, I'll get pit, you know, moisture. I don't, I don't want to do that. There, there are times when the Lord wants you to shout, hallelujah, and then you go, oh, ooh. People definitely be thinking I'm crazy at that moment. We, we're so worried about what the people around us think that we're not undignified in our worship of Almighty God. Let me tell you why that matters. This isn't really about worship. This is about our whole life. You heard Jim mention it earlier. This is about our obedience to him when we walk outside of this room. But let me go ahead and tell you a little newsflash for you. If you cannot be undignified in your worship of God in this room where there are hundreds of people who love King Jesus, how in the world are you going to be undignified in your obedience outside the walls of these church when you're surrounded by thousands of people who hate Jesus? This right here is the practice ground. This is where we learn to be undignified, and we learn it through our praise and going, God, if you want my crutches in the air, I'll do it. If you want me on my face, I'll do it. If you want me to shout my praise, even though I know I'm out of key and that people around me be cringing, I'm going to do it because I want you to receive that kind of praise. If I look like a fool, but it glorifies you, almighty God, I'll do it. Let me, let me say this to you. If there is anybody anybody in the world who has the reason to be undignified in their praise. It is those of us who have experienced the gospel of Jesus Christ. David, think about this. He walks, well, he didn't even walk. His Levites walk six steps with the Ark of the Covenant. And then he stops the whole parade, kills a fattened calf, dancing like a little schoolgirl in praise of Almighty God. If, if he's willing to do that after six steps, just because no one dies, how much more should you and I, who have been rescued from the pit of hell, we're on the train destined for hell because of our own sins, and God came in, rescue mission, pulled us off that train, and said, no, here's the seat at my banquet table. You are now my child with my name. You belong to me. How much more should we praise him? I mean, shouldn't we shout hallelujah, God, because of what he's done for us? Who has reason to praise him more than us? But we're so worried. Oh, yes, Jason. This makes me really uncomfortable. I know it's supposed to because we're supposed to be undignified before Almighty God. And, and I'm sorry. I'm sorry God teaches me these kinds of lessons because you know it's going to spill out over you too. But God is trying to teach us a lesson. What does it mean for me to dance before the Lord? What does it mean for me to be completely unconcerned about what anybody else thinks, wild in my praise of him? Raising my hands when I'm supposed to, clapping when I'm supposed to, drawing to my, to my face on the ground when I'm supposed to, if that's what I need to obey you, Lord. This is why we're doing what we're doing today. This is why we're going to have the sermon up front, because we're going to spend the rest of the service responding to Almighty God. And I believe God is going to call some of you to shout hallelujah during this time of praise. God's going to call some of you to get on your face before him in this time of praise. God's going to call some of you to clap, to raise your hands, maybe even to do a little dance where you are. And you need to be willing to say, yes, Lord. Now, however dignified you may be, it's time to strip that dignity and say, if, if i got to be undignified before you and that's how I can be praised to you, I'm lifting my crutches in the air, Lord. I can let you borrow mine if you need to. 
because we need to praise him. Now, before I open up that time, there are two quick things I need to say. First thing, one of the most undignified things you could do is to grovel before the Lord and say, I need you, oh God, I need you, in prayer. Every single service, we have a chance for people to come front and be prayed over, and that is a sign and symbol that I have things I cannot carry. I can't, God. I can't do this. I need you, God. And maybe you have a weight you're carrying on your shoulders that you're trying to bear, that you were never meant to bear, and the one thing stopping the flow of the power of God in you is you being undignified enough to come groveling at the feet of Jesus. We're going to have prayer team members, and their job is to grovel with you. We're going to get your hands. We're going to pray with you. We may get on our knees with you and pray over you as well. And we're going to grovel together, asking Almighty God to meet a need. Every time you come forward, you are saying before everybody else, I'm overwhelmed by something that I can't handle. I'm in need. You, you can't come forward and ask to be prayed over and keep your dignity. But some of you need to be undignified enough to come receive prayer. So you're going to have a chance to do it. Let me also say this. I mentioned this at the prayer gathering a couple of Wednesdays ago. One of the most undignified things you can do is persist in prayer. Jesus, when he gives an example of prayer, he says There's, there was this guy, and he had some friends come over, and he went to his neighbor and knocked on the door, and the neighbor wouldn't open the door. And he says, because the dude kept knocking, because of his impudence, his shameless persistence, finally the dude opens the door and gives him some bread. And Jesus says, pray that way. Shameless undignified in our knocking, asking again and again and again. There are some of you who have been prayed over, and you're like, well, it didn't work. Nothing's happened. And God's saying, no, persist. Be shameless. Be undignified. Come again and again. Be anointed with oil again and again for healing. Come bow on your face again and again. Keep asking. Stripping all dignity, saying, I, I need you, God. Until he tells you no or tells you to stop praying for that, you keep on praying and asking him in an undignified way. This time of prayer will be a moment for you to do it. I'm going to, in a moment, give you a chance. But the second thing, probably the most important thing, there are some of you that God is, he's been working on. And all things going on in your life, circumstances, for you to do the most undignified thing of all. And that's to come publicly expose that you are a sinner in need of God's grace. There's a baptistry on stage for a reason. And we keep it up here every Sunday. Because every Sunday I want to give you an opportunity to publicly disgrace yourself, to be contemptible before the eyes of men. Because you can't go up into that baptistry and maintain your dignity. That baptistry means I'm a sinner broken and I can only be saved if Jesus Christ saves me. That baptistry is a symbol of you because you are gonna go into a changing room if you decide to do this and strip off the old garments and put on a new garment, a t-shirt that says Jesus in my place. And bonus shorts for you to wear too. And you're going to come up into the baptistry. And you're going to come in there and you're going to die as you go into that water. And you're going to resurrect with Christ Jesus and say there's a whole new me. There's no dignity in this baptistry. Because you're saying I'm that broken. I need the old me to die. I need a brand new me. And I believe there are some of you who need to take that step of faith today. But let me, let me really press on this one last thing. I believe there are some of you who maybe even years ago placed your faith in Jesus Christ. You believe he's your savior, but you've never taken this step. And the reason you haven't taken the step of obedience is because you just, you've been embarrassed by it. You keep putting it off and putting it off and putting it off, and you're wondering why you're not experiencing the power of God in your life. All the blessings of God come with our unashamed obedience. Listen, baptism at its core is a step of obedience. 
when Peter's preaching the gospel to the, to the Jews in the, the day of Pentecost, and the, the word strikes their hearts, and they say, what must we do to be saved? Peter says, listen, repent and be baptized. That's, that's it. Repent and be baptized. There are some of you, you've repented of your sins, but you haven't taken the next step, the step of obedience, and you're wondering why you're not receiving the blessings of God, the power of God. It's because you're not walking in unashamed obedience to him, but today could be the day where you finally say, listen, come hell or high water, whatever's coming my way, I'm gonna obey my Lord. I'm stripping off my dignity because I need the power of God in my life. And if this is a step I need to take, today is the day. I wanna obey him because I need his power. That's what I'm going to be calling you to do today. You can come let one of us know down front that you're, you're ready to place your faith in Christ and be baptized, whether you made that decision a long time ago or just today, and you're ready to public, publicly declare your faith in Christ. We'll let you do it. We may even have time in the service for you to do it, but you've got to decide you're going to do it. I'm going to invite you all to stand up right now, if you will. I'm going to invite, and, and don't start leaving now. We're just getting to the time where you're responding. We did the sermon early so that you could have a chance to respond, so prayer team members and pastors, come on down front. We're going to sing a few songs where we're going to be free in our worship of the Lord. Free to come grovel at the feet of Jesus and say, pray over me, please. I need you. Free to come say, today's the day where I declare my faith in Jesus Christ. I strip off all my dignity and I choose to be undignified before the Lord. And I publicly declare my need of Christ through baptism. Or, or maybe it's just you saying, I got to come bow down before the Lord. I've got to get on my face before him. I've got to bow down where I am. Or I'm going to dance in my seat and praise my God. Or I'm going to raise my hands. I'm going to shout hallelujah however I need to respond. I'm going to let the rest of the service be my response and praise to Almighty God. I don't know how you need to respond, but I believe the Spirit will tell you. I invite you to be obedient. It's open.